0: You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church, Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Well, I want to begin today's sermon with a audience participation, okay? And so I have a couple of questions uh, that I want you to talk about and to answer, all right? And so the first question that I have is for um, the left side, okay, or your right but this side, and the question is this, um, could you define peace? How would you define peace? And now on this side, um, the more mature side, um, I'm sorry, that didn't, anyway, the older side, okay, that's true, okay, I want you to answer this question, where do we need peace, okay, where do we need peace? Okay, so I want you just to talk to people and then i'm going to ask you to give me your answer so so talk to a few people this side how would you define peace this side where do we need peace okay one minute ready go Okay, so we got some answers, I hope. So, how would you define peace? Where are some answers? Just say it. A lack of worry. Lack of worry, okay. Lack of worry. Okay, what else? Absence of conflict. Absence of conflict. Running out of ink. I brought lots of them. they are all dry okay one, what else Charles in of chaos. say it again in in of chaos. joy in chaos okay all right what else anything else one more not violent, not violent. okay right so how about where where do we need peace on this side where (laughs) everywhere okay (laughs) everywhere okay any um sherwin a quiet place okay In a quiet place. That's so true. Okay, everywhere in a quiet place. Anything else? War zones, zones. zones. okay. Which is just about everywhere in the world. Anything else? One more, Lynn. In In our heart, okay. All right. Okay, well, I don't know if you can still see that, but... Um, so what we said is we defined peace as a lack of worry, an absence of conflict, a joy in chaos, and not where there's no violence. We said where is everywhere? In a quiet place where there are wars and in our hearts. Those are good answers. We're going to continue to think about how Advent does that for us. In the way that you and I desire peace, God wants to give it. I don't think anybody here would think that peace, nobody said peace is having a brand new house, peace is driving a brand new car, peace is having a lot of money. These are things that everybody really knows it is true. And I think that it is a good compliment to you that these were the answers that you would give. I had great confidence that you would give good answers, um, just like the children give good answers. They're honest and they're real. And God wants you and I to have the peace that only he can give. And he wants us to have a peace that allows us to know that he will always be with us, even in the times that we feel are not peaceful. And so today we're going to be reading Psalm 85 together, and we're going to be seeing how God gives us his peace and how we work with God to maintain peace. And sometimes to attain that peace within our own hearts. God doesn't force peace on us. That wouldn't be peace. God offers peace to us. And we are to receive it. And so we begin with Psalm 85, verses 1 through 3. And the thing that we're going to learn about the peace that we all long for is that we can learn. We can learn from the past for the present. And that is how we can gain peace. We can learn from the past for the present. And so let's read together these first three verses, and this is a prayer, and this is during a time when the Israelites had recently been released from captivity, okay? So, so they are expressing to God in these words their thankfulness of what God has done. Let's read them out loud together. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins, Selah. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. So that's what had happened in the past. They had seen what God had done, that God had delivered them, that God had showed favor to them, and that God had restored them and God had turned to them. In verse 1, the word restored, and in verse 3, the word turned is the same word in Hebrew. And it's the word shub. And what it means is a turning or returning for a resolution in relationship. It is something that happens to people. People. It is something that happens in the midst of the difficulties. So I think that in all these cases, we would say that the reason why there's a lack of peace is often due to conflicts with people. And God wants to bring about a turning of our hearts to him. Even as they learned, the Israelites, that when they were in a time of turmoil, they cried out to God, and God delivered them, God restored them. But he did even more than that. He made for peace by forgiving their sins. He forgave their iniquity, verse 2. And he covered all of their sins. We know that when we sin, we deserve punishment. And the Israelites, of course, knew that too. And that is what is called the wrath of God, the punishment of God, the due punishment from God, because God is a holy God. But in his mercy, God turned away from his wrath. And he turned away from his anger. And so the Israelites learned a lesson from the past for the present. And it was this. And it's a lesson for you and I as well. And that is that peace comes in turning or returning to God in relationship. Peace comes in turning or returning to God in relationship. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why when we look at the Advent candles, we don't look at just lights and we don't look at traditions. We are to see a person, the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And in his light, he brings us hope and he brings us peace. And so we look at a person for peace. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, in the King James Version, it says this, let's read it together. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things into himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And so Jesus came to bring a change of relationship for you and I. He came to reconcile us. He came to be our friend. He came to make that which were enemies together and joined so that our character would be changed. So that we would be people of peace. We would have peace within our lives that we would be able to share with others. We would have peace within our lives that we would be able to walk with others. But we know that that isn't always easy. And we are always faced with challenges. But we are always called back by God to go to him. Because he made peace through the great sacrifice, as it says, as with his blood on the cross. And it is through this that Jesus gives us the hope of true peace. That he would die so that you and I could have peace. He would rather die and suffer than to be separated from you and me. And so he offers to us his peace. And he offers it to us both in one time but for all time. It's almost like the answer of where do we need peace? We need it everywhere. When do we need peace? All the time. We need peace always, and therefore we are always going back to God in peace. That's one of the beauties of of Christmas, is that we can remember year after year the coming of Christ. And we can celebrate the gift that God gives to us. But in this gift, he doesn't want us just to take it and run. He wants us to take it and walk, and to walk with him. There's a verse in the Bible, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and many of us know it. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. And right after that, Jesus says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. This is the kind of teacher that we have, one who is gentle, one who is humble, one who cares about the things that we need. The picture that you see behind the words is a yoke, and the yoke is made out of wood, and the two U's that you see is for the head of the two beasts of burden to go through that. And Jesus was using this as a picture for you and me to understand what it means to walk with him. The word yoke means to join, to join and it's a picture of a coupling it's a picture of bringing two things together and so in this yoke this one piece of wood holds two people together and the days of those in those days the farmer would put the experienced and the larger oxen on the inside where it would bear most of the weight and oftentimes it was a smaller hole So that the oxen would take the bulk of the weight, both of the yoke, but also of the pulling of the cart behind it. And then a younger ox would go in this bigger hole, and it wouldn't have as much pressure on it. It would still have to walk alongside. It would still offer a little help for the farmer. But the bulk of the pressure and the bulk of the work fell on the larger oxen in the smaller hole, pulling the larger load. But they would always walk. And what God wants for us to know in learning about peace is that if we want peace, we have to slow down and we have to walk. It's like the quiet place as talked about there. We need to have a place with God that allows us to walk with Him. And God wants us to spend time with him. And, and to know through a slower life what it means. So often we don't have peace because we are too busy. Life's too quick. But Jesus wants to walk with us in life. And he wants us to learn that he restores us. We want to learn that he covers our sins. He wants us to learn that in him is not wrath towards us, but gentleness. He cares about you and me, and he wants us to experience that care, not just know it in our hearts. So let us take time to learn from Jesus and learn what he does for us through what he has already done for us on the cross. And then secondly, let us also learn to listen. Listen in the present for God's promises. Let's read together verses 4 through 8. Let's say it out loud together. Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Verses 4 through 7 is a prayer. And one of the things that we learn in this prayer is that God listens. God listens to the prayers of our heart. God listens to the prayers of our words. God listens to the prayers that we bring to him over and again and and in Advent time, it's like, you know, we have Santa Claus, right, for our children. And um, Santa Claus is kind of a, um, an in-between person, right, the one here. And so what happens is, I remember when I was a little boy, um, I would go and I would sit on Santa's knee. And, of course, there's a microphone so everybody can hear, right? And Santa goes, oh, hey, little boy, what do you want for Christmas? And I go, oh, I want this, 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 and this. And so over the microphone, of course, mom and dad can hear, oh, this is what he wants. And so mom and dad are listening. Santa's sort of just the in-between person so that mom and dad know what to go and buy or what the kid wants. Mom and dad have to listen. And it's more fun that way for the kid. But God is always listening, not just for what we say we want, but for what we really need in our heart. Sometimes we feel like. God is displeased with us. Just as the Israelites did. Between verse 3 and verse 4. The Israelites had fallen yet again. They had walked with God. They were thankful for all of God's deliverance. And 1 and 3. They learned that God in his past had delivered them. But in their present. They had already turned away from God again. And that's why we have verses 4 through 7. And that the Israelites are praying to God, God, we've done it again. Put away your displeasure. And that's sometimes what we ask for too and what we need. We long for God to remove any displeasure that he might have to us. Some of us may feel like, you know, I've sinned and God's angry at me. But the scriptures tell us that God has turned away his anger and his wrath in Jesus. And yet we still feel that way, don't we? And the psalmist recognizes it in verse 5. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger, not just to me, but to my children and to their children? Will it continue through all generations? And God doesn't want that. He doesn't want the fear of his anger to move us to a place where all we think about is that God is a mean, cruel God, ready to get angry with us at every mistake. But rather, He is a God who came to be with us and to show us His forgiveness and His grace. But we ought not to sin. We ought not to sin. God wants us to live in a place where we continue to do what is right. And then we want revival. Verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Some of us maybe had great joy when we first became Christians. Some of us may have had great joy in other seasons of life but maybe sin or distractions separated us from god but no matter what has separated from god us from god god wants us to return remember david when he sinned so terribly psalm 51 and he prayed and he asked god to return to him the joy of his salvation And God wants to do that in your life and in my life too. He wants us to know that we are forgiven and that we can rejoice with him again because, as it says in verse 7, he has unfailing love. What did David pray for in Psalm 51? Lord, return to me the joy of your salvation. The greatest joy that we can have is the joy of knowing that God loves us so much that he wants to be with us. And the reason why he saves us is because he wants to spend time with us in all of eternity. He wants to save us, not just from our sins, but he wants to save us into a relationship with him. It's like when you get married, you don't just get married that day so that you can express that love. You want to live your life together until you die. But with God, we would never die. And we would live in this relationship between the bridegroom Jesus and the bride, his church. And we would live in his love forever. We'd be saved so that we have this relationship of salvation that is a living relationship. That is a living testimony of what God can do in our lives. And this is eternal life, says Jesus in John 17. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, my heavenly Father, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God wants us to know him more deeply. In intimacy. In knowledge. He wants us to know him. And so he says that he hears our prayers. Because he knows us. And then he speaks to us. And we must listen. We must listen for his answers. I know all of us pray. But let me just ask you this question. Do you spend as much time listening to God as you do talking to Him? Do you spend as much time listening to God as you do talking to Him? Prayer is oftentimes we just think of as just us talking to God and sending up all of our requests. But prayer is so much more than that. Prayer is a listening. And the psalmist says in verse 8, I will listen. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints. But let them not return to folly. And there's that warning. See, we, we want to live our lives with God in wisdom and not folly. We don't want to go back to that which led us away from God. We want to go back to that which led us to feeling guilty We want to choose to live in a way that helps us to walk with God. And when we walk, we listen. When you walk with someone you love, maybe you hold hands with them, you talk. And the best walks aren't when just one person is talking. The best walks are when someone talks while the other listens. Then maybe there's a little bit of silence. Silence. And then the other listens while one talks. God wants us to learn that he is speaking to us. And what is he speaking to us? His promises. And what is his promise in verse 8? It is peace. So where do you need peace in your life? Where is that place in your heart In your soul, that's just longing for quietness. For an absence of conflict. For a place where there there isn't misery, but rest. Jesus is the answer. He is God's shalom. This word, of course, in Hebrew, verse 8, is shalom, peace. And it means a restored relationship Of completeness and fulfillment. It is a state of wholeness and unity and well-being. It is a peace that comes in a harmonious friendship between people. And we get this in Jesus. We get this in our Lord. And he promises this to us. In Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79... These are the words of Zechariah. Who is Zechariah? Who's daddy? John the Baptist. Okay, so Zechariah was John the Baptist's daddy. And John the Baptist was born uh, as a promise from God in the Old Testament that he would be the forerunner of Jesus, of the Messiah. Well, Zechariah also had a prophecy about his son and the one to whom his son would be preparing the way for. And they found there in verses 78 and 79. And so Zechariah is saying, John, this is what's going to happen because of your life as the one who is the trumpet blower. He is the fanfare maker for Jesus. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet Into the path of peace. John the Baptist. Was going to be heralding. The tender mercies of God. He was going to be proclaiming. The rising of the sun. That had come from heaven. He was going to be proclaiming. The light of the world. The lamb of God. That was shining in darkness. And he is the one The only one who will guide our lives and our feet into the path of peace. Um, I took this picture uh, a number of years ago when Carol and I were in Jerusalem. And this is looking east. This is the sunrise over Jerusalem. And when we were in Jerusalem, one of the things that I didn't really think about, I kind of knew but I didn't really fathom it, fullness, was that within the walled city of Jerusalem, there are three groups of people who live together. And, and I wouldn't say that they live harmoniously and that they don't intermingle. In fact, there's separate sections where they live. But they still live within the city wall of Jerusalem. And the three groups of people are Muslims and Jews and who's the third group? Christians. Think about that. In this city, in this walled city, there are three groups of people that represent the three major religions in the world. And each of them believes that Jerusalem is their holy city. But they live in relative peace. They don't, they're not in war right there, right now. But they're still separated. And Jesus loves all of them. And he came to make a holy Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that when Jesus comes back, what are we going to live in? A new Jerusalem. A new city of peace. That's what Jerusalem means. City of peace. And so God is going to bring about this coming of the Messiah. This coming of Jesus. This promise of peace. And he's going to come and he's going to bring it in the life of the people who live on earth. As it's represented in Jerusalem now that God's love is for all these people and he wants them all to have peace and he wants us to have peace but we must take time to listen for the promise because the promise is in Jesus the promise is in the Messiah and so we have learned that we can learn about God for the present from the past we can learn that in the present we can listen for God and know that his peace is for us But also, and thirdly, we can look and find peace. We can look at God and his kingdom. And of course, when it was said earlier on in in Psalm 85, it would be prophetic of what would happen into the future. But now as we read it, it is not only fulfilled in the present in Jesus as he brought the God's kingdom to us, but it is also the continual promise of God's full kingdom revelation when Jesus returns. And so we are looking at God, and we are looking at his kingdom. And in every kingdom there is a king. And so we are looking at the king of the kingdom, and that king is King Jesus. Let's read together verses 9-13 through 13 to understand what Jesus brings us in this kingdom. Let's say it together. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him. That glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. God promises us the quality of virtue, of life, of spirit, and of holiness in Jesus and in his kingdom. He says that he is near to us. And Jesus, when he came, he said the kingdom of God is near. He said the kingdom of God is in your midst. God is with us and he brings his mercy and he brings his glory. These five valued virtues are for you and for me. That even now we can receive and have God's glory ...in our midst. We can receive and experience God's mercy. We can know God's truth. We can live with the confidence of God's forgiveness... and righteousness. And we can have that peace that we so long for. When the angel came to Mary... ...to tell her that she was going to have a baby... ...who would be the Messiah... ...she sang a song. And in that song, in Luke chapter 1, verse 54... ...she said these words... He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Mary, fulfilling the prophecies of the promises of God's mercy, just like we have in Psalm 85 and other verses in the Old Testament. The promise that God would send his mercy through Messiah, Mary recognizes, even as she is carrying the baby Jesus now in her womb. That he has helped his servant, not his servant Mary, but his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. And in the prophecy of her words, she understood by faith that the Messiah that was within her was for the whole world. To go through the world through Israel, God's chosen people. That he would show his mercy And so when we look at God and we look at Jesus and we look at the King, we are looking at mercy. Do you need mercy? Or do you know somebody who needs mercy? Maybe mercy from you because they've hurt you or you hold a grudge or you're afraid of seeing them again because of what they've done. But the mercy that they need And the mercy you can give comes through Jesus. He wants us to know that this is the work of the Messiah. When we look at God, we are to see a God of mercy. When we look at his kingdom, even the kingdom now, it is to be kingdom people living merciful lives. And in that, we see that then the glory of God expands. The glory of God is seen. The glory of God is proclaimed. In verse 9, it says that glory may dwell in our land. When Jesus was to be born and the angels came to the shepherds, and we read this verse already with the children, but let's read it again. Luke 2, 14. Let's say it together. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. God gives his peace to those who receive the Messiah. And it is on those people that his favor rests. This isn't just a blanket promise to all the world that peace is going to come. Obviously, that is not true as we see here. That peace is needed in the war zones throughout the world. And God wants us to know that this peace is for the heart of individuals. And the people who come together like us. That we are to be a congregation of peace. That we are to be a congregation of people who receive mercy and who reveal the mercy of God. So that when we are God's ambassadors to the world, then the king of the kingdom is near to those people that we know because the king of the kingdom is in our hearts. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. He is within you. He is so close to us. And he is so near to us. And he wants to use us as his ambassadors to share love and mercy to the world. To share God's glory that they might be seen. To be able to come near to people as God came near to us. I love verse 10. Um, I love the way the psalmist puts it together. He says, mercy and truth have met together. So so there's one coupling, right? There's one union that we see there. But then I love this one. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Um, Last night at the uh, Christmas party... Uh, we played an, an opening game that was led for us. It was called "Have you? Have you ever? Is that what it's called?" Or "I've never." "I have never." "Never have I." Okay. And so, um, so it was like you say, "Never have I." Like you know, somebody might say, um, "Never have I been to Jerusalem." All right. So, so if you've been to Jerusalem, um, you would, you know, you would lose a point, right? But, but last night I, I didn't say it. Um, but this would have been a good one. Um, never have I kissed someone passionately. Never have I kissed someone passionately. And I wonder how many people might have been able to say, well, I've never kissed someone passionately. But I hope to. And then I wonder how many people might just say, right now, even though I've kissed somebody, I haven't really kissed them passionately. A little peck to my husband, a little peck to my wife, but but not passionately. Well, when we read this verse here, that righteousness and peace have kissed the word kiss is is the word uh, kata phileo and it's two words okay the first word kata is a preposition and it means exceedingly or more and it has the the tone of intensity in it and then phileo means friend which we know of like philadelphia phileo but it also means friendship that is filled with affection and tenderness And so this word, when it says that righteousness and peace have kissed, it means that they have kissed in earnestness. They've kissed eagerly. They've kissed passionately together. And so I want to ask you a question. Where do you think that happened in history? Where did righteousness and peace kiss passionately? And I would say that it's actually the same place where mercy and truth met. When Kara and I were in Jerusalem, we got to go to the site of Golgotha, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, where it's believed that that is where Jesus was crucified, outside the city. And I believe that that is where righteousness and peace kissed. That Jesus on the cross died And he fulfilled God's justice and righteousness. And that he is the truth of God. And he gives us God's life. And then as he fulfilled the promises of God. In being our Messiah. And being our Savior. And paying the price for all of our sins. He rose in victory. And he gives us his peace. And he offers us the forgiveness that we need, that mercy that we long for. And so I believe it is on the cross that the fulfillment of these words are ultimately made true. That is mercy and truth were found on the cross. Righteousness and peace were found on the cross. And Jesus died so that you and I would not have to die. And God wants us to experience that now. I want you to think about this. Is there any place that you can think of in the Bible where God kisses someone? Is there any place in the Bible that you can think of where God kisses someone? Literally, comes down and kisses someone. Anybody think of it? It was in last week's sermon, but I didn't say it that way. No? What? Holy Spirit? No? It was in the story of the prodigal son. Oh. You go back there. And you read the story of the prodigal son. What does it say? It says that as he was walking back into the city. He had turned. And he had turned back to his father. He was walking back to the city. It says the father saw him in a distance. Picked up his robe. And he ran to him. And he embraced his son. And he kissed. And in that day, a kiss meant so much. It meant acceptance. It meant love. It meant embracing with passion. It meant that God was saying to his son who had fallen so far away from him, I receive you fully, so much so that I will show my affection to you and I will kiss you. God wants to kiss each of us. He wants to bring us into relationship with him and to know his love. And this is his truth for us. And when we know it, it will spring out of the earth because we want to tell other people. We want to share this righteousness that came down from heaven in Jesus so that other people might know it and it might feel our land. That it might be that people know what is good and that they might live the kind of life that lives a life of peace so that our world has a greater sense of that wholeness that God has. But it depends on us receiving in faith the Lord of peace. God is the God of peace. Jesus is the Lord of peace. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16, this is the blessing that Paul gives to you and to me and to God's church. Can we say it together? Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. All. Everywhere and every place. Jesus is the Lord of peace. And his Father is the God of peace. Let us read together Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. It's all brought together in Jesus, this God of peace, this Lord of peace, this hope for peace, and the glory that God gives And this is the invitation of Christmas. This is the invitation of Advent. For each of us to draw nearer and nearer unto God. And to find that peace in learning and walking with Him. In listening and spending time with Him. In being attuned to His promise to us. In looking for Him in our daily lives. While we look at Him. And He that gives us His mercy And his truth. And he gives to us his righteousness and his peace. These are the gifts that God wants to give us at Christmas. God always wants to give. What a great heavenly father. Let us pray.